0: In this week's update, the odds of a Fed slowdown have risen on a seasonal basis, what's real and what's speculative hype, and stock selection never been more crucial. My name's Gary Davis, as always, this is General Advice Only, and please remember to like and subscribe to the video. Let's look at uh, the perspective uh, as things are unfolding for 2024, the economic status Remains unchanged. Um, we've got inflation easing, we've got a resilient US economy, and we've got a pretty solid earnings season. it's It's pretty variable, there's been some some really good ones, some stunningly good ones, and some poor ones. Uh, but overall it's um it's a pretty solid earnings season. So the backdrop for the US stock market in general uh, remains positive. Let's have a look at what can go wrong because things are pretty stretched now. We've had a long run of um, of gains. Uh, what could go wrong? And there's the normal list, and this is what the bearish brigade around the world are doing. They're just um, compiling a list of all the things that make fundamental logic sense that that should explode and cause the market to fall. And you know we've been hearing that for eternity, and we'll. Hear it for the next eternity as well, and you can always make a big list. And here's just a couple of the key ones. Uh, there's a there's a real commercial property time bomb in America, and it's real, and it's it's going to bust out in in some form or another, but no one really knows how and when. And of course, we've probably got more geopolitical events than we've ever seen um, around around the world as. Um, as a number of Western nations uh, deteriorate culturally, socially, economically, and, um, and we've got, uh, we've got the, the rising status in other areas. So huge geopolitical events that could, um, could destabilize things. But look, these things have always existed and always will exist. And they in themselves do not bring markets down because no one knows when the impact is going to be felt the best reasons of all for a major market top are pretty simple you run out of buyers and or expectations get disappointed now at the moment the us market has a strong expectation that there will be three or four rate cuts this year starting pretty soon and extending all the way through to 2026 which will bring the cash rate down under three percent. That's the expectation. Now, we can argue whether that's fair or not fair expectation, but, you know, it is what it is. That's what the market is expecting. And it's those last two things, the disappointed expectation and running out of buyers is what causes a market top. It's not the fundamentals per se. So, you know, the bears just need to take a pill and lie down and, and stop Looking for reasons why the market should um, should expire. It'll it'll expire when it does it. Um, so don't pin your hopes on fundamental logic. Just work off what the prices are actually doing, and incorporate that into your plan for how to take profit. So markets have priced in significant race cuts. There's no question about that. The Fed fund futures is pointing to 2.95 by February 2026. That. That's a fact. Now, whether that will unfold in a different way is completely unpredictable at this stage. That's just, that's just a bunch of people who are making um, some projections at this stage based on assumptions that may turn out to be correct or not. But going back to the point I made before about what creates a top in the market, and it's heavily about system liquidity how much money is there? How many more buyers are there in the system? to step up to the plate and keep prices moving forward. And it's also a fact that the Fed has been withdrawing liquidity for well over a year, and they've reduced, in fact, nearly two years, the balance sheet has been reduced from, I don't know, something like $4 trillion down to 3 point something trillion. So 15% reduction in their balance sheet. It's a big, big number. It's, it's something of the order of... Um, of three quarters of a trillion dollars uh, balance sheet reduction, which means there's that that much less money sloshing around the world's financial system. We've got the earnings outlooks are pretty mixed. So that makes stock selection absolutely critical. And we've seen it through this US sy- uh, earnings season where we've seen some stocks down Um, 25, 30, even 40% in a single session. And other stocks go up by 50, 60% in a single session. So there's been an enormous divergence in that respect. We've also got big tech, magnificent seven, however you want to frame it, trading at historically high valuation levels and price levels. And so the immediate thought is, well, That's not sustainable. And I guess it's not, but it's not sustainable just because, or it's not unsustainable because the prices have gone up a lot. It's because we run out of people who are prepared to buy at that price. And then you get some early profit takers, see the signs, they see the slowdown in momentum, they figure they want to get out first. And that's what creates the top. So that the valuation. Where people are willing to buy, uh, and the amount of money that's available to do that buying. Now, at the moment, there are no signs of a significant top. So, relax. You know, there's there's no point in agonising over something that may not happen for some time, or may only happen in a very minor way. Now, are we close to a minor top? Look, there certainly are signs that that. We're getting closer. There are definitely signs that we're building, and particularly in the options market. The options market is now at, at a levels of excess that you typically see at short term tops. So you've got to pay attention to those balance of probabilities. There is more evidence built up in the last three or four weeks that we're closer to a top than we've seen for a little while since the, the bottom um, three quarters of the way through October and it's gone up in a just stunning fashion. So a minor top, yes, uh, I will not be at all surprised to see that. Now, let's look at artificial intelligence because the indices have been driven a great deal by the performance of stocks that are heavy beneficiaries of artificial intelligence. It's real. You know, this is not 2000, this is not the 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 point where the whole the house of cards comes crumbling down because the internet is, you know, is not yet at a point where commercialization can, can realistically occur. So we're not in that sort of environment we were in 2000. This is real. The earnings growth is real and the earnings growth is sustainable. There's not much question about that. So, so this is, this is real. There is no fundamental hype like we saw um, more than two decades ago. But prices are heavily extended. And at what point will the buyers disappear? And no one knows the answer to that. And I'm certainly not going to um, have a have a crack at it. I'll just point you in the direction of let's look at let's look at NVIDIA first of all, then I'll come back to the other one. So if we look at the price of Nvidia, and it's moved uh, from about four hundred and eighty dollars on the fourth of January to seven hundred and twenty-one on um, on the ninth of February. Now that in itself, that massive move does not does not in itself mean that this has got to roll over and, and crash. It's just you run out of buyers that are prepared to buy the stock at these levels Uh, so we're certainly there's certainly enough price extension there to justify some profit taking but when and where that starts is is anybody's guess let me just look at one other stock trying to arbitrarily pick a profit taking exit is you know based on gut feel Go back to NVIDIA. Has this run far enough? It's just a guess. And trying to do that is just nuts. And let me show you this example. This is another stock heavily involved in the technology and, and semiconductor and AI industries, is um, Supermicro Computer. And, and this is not a recommendation at all, as you'll see in just a minute. So this is where it stood on the 18th of January. Um, let the price action. In conjunction with your plan, so you should have a plan for how you take profit, let's have a look at what happened. That was the next day, the next session. We jumped from just barely 300 and closed at 423 in one session and look at the volume. Now, at what point in this progression do you say, well, that's enough's enough. We're now, we're up more than 50% in just a couple of days? Is that enough? Well, let's have a look. Okay. Is that, is that a negative candle? Is that a sign at 520, 511? Is that a sign that you should be taking profit? Well, let's let the market be the guide. What about that one or that one? Hopefully you get my point. We're now at 740 and there is, There is no top. There is no sign of a top. So at what point do you guess that this is run far enough? So we've run from 300 on the 18th of January to 740. Now, this might be an outlier and is an outlier, but my point is, you let the market be the guide. You have a technique for taking profit, and there are several different techniques that you can employ, and if you don't have one, then you are just guessing, you are at the casino. If you don't have a plan, a structured plan that you follow every time for how you take profit when you do get these fantastic um, outcomes. So how does all this play out in um, in, in the US market and, and over the next few weeks or few months? Well, I think at some point, big tech has to correct, and not just because it's gone up a lot, but because we run out of buyers and we run out of liquidity. That will be why. And there'll be some people who want to get out sooner than everybody else, and that then creates the top and and, uh, sets prices on the downside. So that'll drag down the indices. So the S&P and the NASDAQ, they'll come down as well because big tech has such an influence that will then puncture short-term sentiment. And so that will bring most stocks down. So most stocks will experience a negative reaction. Now, most of them will, sorry, let me backtrack on that. Some of them will experience a negative reaction for just a few days, and then they'll quickly get back on track. Others, and, and they're, the, they're the best, and they'll quickly re-establish their trend. Others That are sort of in the middle they might go down for many many weeks Uh, and of course the ones that are already going down that are experiencing a negative trend well they'll probably get carved up good and proper so that'll be how it will play out in the us so therefore you want to make sure that you are on the best stocks and this idea of you know having a widely diversified portfolio is just nuts. It it really is. You're just setting your, you're setting yourself up for a significant amount of portfolio volatility um, to the downside. So just focus on the best of the best. This sort of correction that is inevitable will create some great buying opportunities. And if your if your watch list is just the best of the best, then you should have a pretty good outcome from all that. All right, let's look at American stocks. The S and P was up 1.4 percent across the week. Um, as I said, this this outperformance is is just not sustainable. But when when does it keel over? I have I'm not even thinking about it. I don't want to think about it because I I don't want to um, influence my thinking. I'm just being driven by what the market is showing me, and I'm not at all concerned about a top because I've got a technique for taking profit that I've used for years. It works really well. It gets me out pretty soon after a top. And so I'm very comfortable with that. And I'm just letting the winners run in the meantime. Now, the US economy is strong. So really, there is no need for the Fed to lower rates. And I that one worries me a little bit. I think the expectation that the Fed Will cut rates um, sometime soon has been overpriced. So I think expectations are too high on rate cuts. Um, so that that is the that is the, the thing that I think you know could bring the market down if if the market starts to believe that the Fed is not going to lower rates until let's say September, for argument's sake. I think that would disappoint the market and would see some profit taking. But we'll see. The US dollar index uh, was fractionally higher, just over one, uh, 104, uh, and the 10-year yield was higher at 4.17, but tech stocks still holding up very well. So how differently the market is behaving um, to, you wind back six months, 12 months, and these sort of yields were causing the, the technology part of the market to absolutely fall over. And that was because the market didn't know how high those rates were going to go and how high inflation was going to go. Now that everybody's relaxed, that inflation has peaked and it's on the way down, seemingly under control, um, a move in the 10-year yield from 3.9 to 4.2 is not concerning the market at all. So the, the attitude has changed quite dramatically. The VIX, as a consequence, remains low anything under sort of 13 14 15 is is low so we're right down at those levels the 10 year two year spread is still setting still sitting as negative but you know fairly mildly so let's have a quick look at the uh what's happening with uh, the aussie market Um, 64 and a half is the aussie dollar our index was down 0.7 across the week What I'm finding, because I'm so active in both countries, both Australia and America, with significant portfolios in each, it's glaringly obvious to me when I'm looking at my watch lists of several hundred stocks in each country, that most trends in Australia are less reliable than those trends are in the US. In the US, when stocks break out, the trends often go on and on for quite some time without interruption. In Australia, that is very much the exception. In fact, it's a rarity. Um, Trends in Australia tend to have bigger pullbacks. Now, I'm not making a case at all for not being in the Australian market. Far from it. You've just got to understand that you've just got to be a bit more patient in the Australian market. We've still got great opportunities. There are more great opportunities in america but that doesn't mean that you need to go there because there are great opportunities in australia but you've got to have more patience to let them play out in general all right let's look at some charts before we go on to precious metals okay we'll start first of all with um just with the s p this is on a on a weekly basis we broke out on the week ending the 19th of january and we've now had three more successive weeks to the upside. We've broken through 5,000, closed at 5,026. This has been an absolutely stunning run from the week ending November 3, You know, once we got this big reversal at the end of, uh, the end of October. And when you get a week like this, where it completely reverses a negative sentiment, That's why I was so bullish. I went instantly bullish once I saw that week had played out. Because when you get a candle like this, you know, it doesn't matter what you personally think, that is the market voting with its feet. And when you get a candle like that, it's, you know, it's that long, it's that emphatic. It tells you there's been a complete turnaround, a complete 180 degrees in sentiment and buyers are now going to pour into the market. And the people that have been short the market are forced to to reverse. And that's why that was just such a such an amazing signal. And the way that it's played out, we've just gone up week after week after week, except for this one week here, ending the 5th of January, the first week of the year. Other than that, It's been higher every single week now. I think this might be the 14th or 15th week uh, in succession. So that is um, is the S&P. Well, let's have a look. And of course, the Nasdaq has advanced uh, even more than that. Let's take a look at the um, where the money flows are going within that market. S&P versus the Russell is yeah, it's it's really sort of they're pretty much on par. We've had periods where this, this falling part means the Russell's going better than the S&P. This rising part is the opposite, but now we're coming off the boil again. So even though we had a good week in the S&P, we had an even better week last week in the Russell 2000. So small caps are definitely starting to get more love from the money, uh, from the money flows. NASDAQ versus the S&P, pretty obvious, n- no change here. NASDAQ's still doing better, but that's largely because of the Magnificent 7. Semiconductors. I just keep rabbiting on about semiconductors um, all the time. And the outperformance of semiconductors is just stunning. Now, a lot of that is about NVIDIA, Meta, um, Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon, etc. But this is just stunning outperformance. Let's look at it on a um, uh, on a sector basis. We'll look at the last quarters. Uh, we've certainly seen um, this is um, this one is XLK, I think, or is it? It's very very hard to discern those colours. I'll go. I'll move away from that. Let's just have a look at the last month. Yeah, it's XLK. So XLK has really taken off again in the last month. But communication services, which is also an aggressive part of the market, um, has also done exceptionally well. Um, XLY, which is um, consumer discretionary, but look, that is heavily influenced by Tesla and Amazon. So I'm I'm sort of paying a, a bit less attention, but I can tell you there's certainly some very good performances in the consumer discretionary area in the small cap space in America. And then we've got finance uh, energy, which had made a recovery has come off the boil a little bit and down the bottom then retreating, we've got consumer staples. So the market's pretty positive at the moment and then materials um, bringing up the rear, so that's where the money flows are going in the U S still unequivocally the the aggressive technology sectors of the market. If we look at Australia over the last quarter, no real change at all. Healthcare, uh, information technology had a good week. Finance is going along quite well. Small caps doing okay. They're rising on an absolute basis, but materials have had a hard time of it and so is energy. So that's been the story of the last couple of weeks. In Australia, materials and energy have been the drag. All right, precious metals now. Gold was down $15 to 2025. Again, when you look at the fundamentals, the fundamentals are just screaming that something has to break. But it doesn't. The the world has been a washing debt, drowning in debt for years and years. And yet it never seems to bring the house of cards down. And people have been predicting this for, well, for probably three decades now. But the financial system just always seems to hold together. The important thing, so, so trying trying to guess how this is going to go or trying to use fundamental logic to justify where you put your investment dollars, in my view, is not the way to do it. The way to think about this is... What is your purpose of being in the gold sector? Is it speculation? Is it risk aversion? You know, we, where you don't really care that much about the value of gold. Uh, You are looking to, to protect the value of what you've got and you don't worry too much about performance, you know? So it's an insurance, gold is an insurance policy. Or is it just speculation where you're trying to make money and build wealth? You need to be very clear about purpose. And again, I speak to lots of people that really have no idea. They just sort of, they're buying gold stocks, but they don't really know why. They're not clear at all on their purpose. So get clear on your purpose. Um, And related to that is what is your appetite for risk? If you're a risk-averse person, then you would probably tend towards having more gold um, in your portfolio as a percentage and probably less gold stocks. You would find a means to have more gold, be that physical gold in storage, or gold ETFs, or whatever it might be. But again, you just you need to be clear about what is your purpose uh, for being in this particular sector. Now, in Aussie dollars, it's looking really good three one six two. If we look at the broad-based global index GDXJ, it looks awful. You know, it's trending down. It remains near uh, the lows of its range, as we'll see in a minute. When you look at local gold stocks, you look at the, you know, the Northern Stars, the Evolution Mining, Newcrest, oh, sorry, Newmont now, these sort of stocks, these really are ideal conditions for profitable growth and therefore for a buoyant share price. But there's been some improvement, but it's just not the sizzle that you would expect given the conditions so let's take a look at um at the uh the gold market so there is the gold price in um in you on a daily basis it's really just pretty much range bound and has been now for uh, for quite some time and on a weekly chart, it's it's the same now whether this proves to be a coiling consolidation before the ultimate breakout Who knows? But certainly when you go to uh, GDXJ, for instance, it's certainly not being reflected in global stocks. That's for sure. But some of the global majors, like Barrick, for instance, have got some issues. They've got some fundamental earnings and production growth issues. So that's helping to keep a lid on, on some of these indices. So that's the uh that's the gold market. Uh, turning to other commodities now. Copper and nickel both slipped down where I think last week copper was 3.82 or something. Crude oil was is bouncing around all over the place 76.6 so back up about $4. And geopolitical events are really still the main price driver and they're so unpredictable. It makes shorter-term trading of the energy market challenging, to be to be honest. And in Australia, when you throw in the fact that we've got so much political interference and therefore uncertainty, it really is a very difficult sector in Australia. Uranium, we've had quite a bit of upheaval um, in the uranium sector. We've had and this played out with the um, the Chemico report through the week that really shone a light on the fact that some of the recent rise in the uranium price was artificial if you like if if all things were were running along normally the uranium price wouldn't be where it is above $100 it would be at some lower point um, and the reason for that is that there's been speculation around what the Chemico production Um, was going to be in 2023 and 2024. Um, So it was a well-known fact that Cameco, because they had had mines on care and maintenance for a number of years when the uranium price was low, it was common knowledge that they would not be able to meet their contractual obligations in supplying uranium to their customers. And so they would have to go into the spot market to buy at spot prices to fulfil their contractual obligations. And that buying in part, and I don't know whether it's a minor part or a major part, but that buying in part helped to push the uranium price higher. Now, when so all that was known, so when CCJ came out and had a better than expected production um, forecast for 2024, the market then needed to unwind some of that speculation and so the price of um, of uranium became extremely volatile but it didn't really fall apart that much it came down near a couple of dollars but not that much and so the reaction to sell off CCJ by four, per, four odd percent was you know I think was unwarranted and then the re, the huge overreaction in the Australian market where all of our uranium stocks on Friday got absolutely smacked by 10 12%. That certainly looks unwarranted uh, because this is just, there's been a speculative buildup. We're now getting a speculative unwind. I think it's all going to be relatively temporary and the focus will fairly quickly come back onto what are the long-term fundamentals and the long-term fundamentals are still extremely attractive. So we ended up with a volatile week, but I'll be really fascinated and not at all surprised to see a pretty decent partial uh, retracement of the losses uh, in the early part of next week. I'll just uh, show the chart on CCJ, if I may, just to underpin the point. So there um, there was Thursday night, quite an emphatic reaction, big volume, so I'm not saying, you know, the reaction wasn't uh, wasn't at least partly warranted. I just don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it means anything much for the longer term. It has meaning in the short term, but not for the long term. And when you look at, again, you know, forget what you think, let's just look at what the market is telling us. We got stability immediately on Friday. Now, that's not a guarantee that it won't go you know down to here at all, but After such a big fall on Thursday night, I would have expected something a bit more negative on Friday. We gapped down a bit and then traded up and down and were even positive at one stage. So not the big continuation selling. And that's why I think we might get a rebound from the overreaction in the Australian market. There's a spot copper chart. So winding down um, during last week crude oil bouncing back up so really these commodity prices are really just going up and down in a, in a pretty volatile fashion wrapping it up um, i think you you probably need to hose down your expectations a bit for the next 2 months because i think the the likelihood of the market running out of buyers at this level and i think it was of, of the three alternatives so then the nasdaq and And the Magnificent Seven, there are three ways this could go. They could keep going. They could just stall and go sideways, or they could top out and fall. I think the second one is highly unlikely. I think the markets are moving so fast that I don't think we're just going to go up and, and then stop and then just hang at this level. I think we'll even, we'll continue on next week to even higher levels. Or it'll, it'll reverse you know, pretty soon and, uh, and we'll get some sort of correction, which may prove to be only mild. But you do need to hose down your expectations, I think, for the next couple of months. And I would forget what the indices are doing. Find the most justifiable stocks. And what I mean by justifiable is that they've got the earnings growth. They've got strength in their balance sheet. They've got price momentum they've got valuations on their side. So all the reasons that a stock should continue to go up. So find the most justifiable stocks and buy them on some short-term weakness. Now, if it's a super strong trend, you may only get a couple of days down. If it's sort of your average trend, you might get a week or two down, but buy them on some short-term weakness. And then just be patient and let the justifiable part of it take over and then just manage risk well keep an eye on your weightings if you if you get a, a really great result just don't let it become too heavy a weighting in your portfolio make sure you've got a repeatable technique for taking profit that's not based on emotion and and gut feel so if you do all those things well it it's i'm just so excited about it. The year that's unfolding, and that, and to be, to be clear, I've, I've not seen a period when the pathway forward is so extraordinarily clear, and the reason that I say that is because the the obstacles to sentiment, rising inflation, rising interest rates, have been removed, and we've now got a, a, a reporting season, an earnings season in the US, that. To a reasonable degree, justifies what's been happening in that market. So things look really, really good in the medium to long term. Short term, I'm just a bit cautious. Portfolio analysts last week, uh, we looked at the stocks that I think are the most justifiable uranium stocks. There's there's, there's an awful lot of um, speculative uranium stocks out there, but there are some that are. I think the ones that have earned the right to be the favored stocks um and we also looked at some of the powerful u.s trends to uh to trade and there's quite a few of them so it was a great session in portfolio analyst there's more information on the website there's my uh, email address and i'll be back with you next sunday cheers